Hello and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where you enter a dark cavern behind a waterfall. In the distance, you hear dis- distinct chattering of a band of goblins. Shane of Hosey, what do you do? Um, uh, the podcast, I, I'm here to do the podcast. Sarah, roll to begin podcast. That's plus charm, or not charm. This is a different game. <laughs> Charmisma. Charmisma. Charm- Charmander. <laughs> Do we want to try that again? End of show. Nope. <laughs> Beginning of show. New theme song. We're good at this. I mean, we we have been doing this for fifty nine whole episodes. We're yeah. This, yeah, Shane was here for most, most of those. <laughs> just in the background, silently. <laughs> just watching. Mm-hmm. For some reason, in my head, you were dressed like The Undertaker in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just lurking. I mean, it's very on brand. Uh, so we do have Shane Hosey here again. We're not going to be talking about wrestling except for that one thing like five seconds ago where right. we were talking about yeah, wrestling. Yeah, we're definitely not going to mention wrestling ever again on this show. Never. <laughs> We don't have a part three that we should probably do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like our Lord of the Rings S saga where once a year we release a, a wrestling. New... Yeah. Uh, the next saga of professional wrestling. I'm not looking forward to our Hobbit esque MMA series. Ooh. <laughs> You're gonna have to get someone else for that. I just not I'm just not very knowledgeable. Neither am I. Hi Sarah. Hello. Uh we are gonna talk about the history of tabletop RPGs and by extension all RPGs, and also by extension, like, improv games. Yes, and oh. I'm very excited to do it. What was that yesterday? It was just a bunch of dweebs, yes, anding their way to a million dollars. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that sounds like the text I got from you. Yeah. Um. So Emily's part is done. Yep, that was all I needed to do. Um, <laughs> my face is still kind of numb, and I'm drinking like a human, though, so. And I have a cold, and I'm drinking like a goblin. <laughs> So basically, we're going to go over the beginnings of RPGs. Uh, Shane is going to cover a middle ground that I'm not 100% sure what he's doing. A great schism (laughs) in the faith. I know Pathfinder is involved. Oh, it's involved. And the 90s. Uh, No, more the 2000s. The 2000s. Yes. Ooh. Uh, And Sarah, you have some very fun things that are going to culminate in me yelling about the Lord. Yep, as we do. That's what this podcast is all about. That's all I've done to everyone in my like immediate area is yell about the Lord. <laughs> I don't know why it upsets me so much, but we'll if get to it. If only that. they would just all see how great the Lord was. <laughs> all right. And we also have some fun stuff to talk about at the end that's not historical or dry or Christian or Mormon. Oh, man. My story's going to be wet as hell. Are you kidding? It's full of betrayal and corporate espionage. We're not corporate espionage. Corporate intrigue. Have a very... It sounds exactly like the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wet as hell. I have a moderately damp section. <laughs> like a cave. hey All right, so let's begin. Uh, we're going to go back in time to the Han Dynasty in China. Roll for initiative. Oh, boy. I don't have my dice on me. Oh, shit. I still got mine. I mean, I have those big-ass, bulky, like, copper dice. They would have... 
done for oh, some nice holy. Anyways, so we're going to go back to the Han Dynasty where people made a hobby of organizing fairs where everyone dressed up and pretended to be from a different time period. One of the first the- examples of role-playing slash Ren fairs. I was going to say, it's, it's the a original Ren LARPers. The Chinese invented everything cool. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't be Renaissance. It would be more like a Ming fair. <laughs> or I don't, which dynasty was Mulan in? Which one, where does the Han come into it, like, before or after? I have no idea. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the iTunes reviews. <laughs> yeah, didn't Quick, really get that, that breakdown of the di- the dynasties. Um, I can tell you about the TV show dynasty. <laughs> it's rich people and oil. Who shot JR? Roll an investigation <laughs> check. <laughs> I would kill to play a dynasty-based RPG. Oh, my God. All right, I'll go write one. I'll be back. Wasn't... Okay, I, I'm going to, because people are going to correct us. J- I think who shot JR was Dallas. Yes, you are correct. That is Dallas. Which one You've did they... solved my <laughs> old TV puzzle. Whichever one they remade now with all of the hot people at the, like, a very bad time. I think uh, that, that one's definitely a Dynasty. fiasco game really well. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Han Dynasty. Han Th- Dynasty. They're being real big dorks. That's actually the only time I'm going to mention the Han Dynasty in this entire thing. I just wanted to go back to like one of the first instances of playing. Oh, so you want to pull my trick, which is to talk about wrestling in France in the 1800s. Uh, <laughs> oh, and uh, then there was this man called Andre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were also theater troops of Italian improvers roaming the medieval landscape. Uh, there were mock trials, historical reenactments, various parlor games, and eventually your standard issue theater improv. Hey. Uh, as developed by a woman named Viola Spolin. Um, and women invent everything cool. Yeah. <laughs> also true. I, I kind of want to just gather a group of stereotypical improvers and tell them that. <laughs> See how that goes over. <laughs> Spolin, who is one of the founders of the famous comedy troupe Second City, insisted that her ex- exercises were games and that they involved role playing as early as 1946. I assume she made this assertion after uh, role playing became a big thing. She didn't die until like 1991. It could oh. be. Um. I mean, I'd want to take credit for it. Maybe not for, like, LARPing, but... <laughs> yeah, see, Actually, the thing. I don't know how cool any of this is. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just know so many people who do it that I can tell myself that it's cool, but I can't take this out to the real world. Yeah, that's a real sample size yeah. error. <laughs> no, I tried explaining to my cousin uh, who played football that D&D was cool now, and he uh, didn't agree. <laughs> Sarah, I don't know how to tell you this but your cousin's also from rural minnesota that's also a big problem well here's just something that i found out uh through age nothing is cool nothing literally nothing is cool it's true no matter what it is someone out there is gonna think it's dumb if you like something it sucks (laughs) (laughs) and i'm I'm saying this as someone who likes a lot of stuff i'm just i'm just at peace with it I'm terrible, and that's fine. (laughs) Take that to the iTunes reviews. (laughs) So what do all of these things have in common? What do all these things have in common? I already said they were forms of Uh role-playing. Nerds throughout the ages? We've been doing this shit for millennia. Like, even as far back as, like, ancient Egypt, people were pretending to be other people for funsies. I can see. I mean, I get the appeal. Yeah, like, even in ancient Greece, they did, like, theater which is role-playing. Yeah. Well, it's literally you're playing a role. Yeah. Uh, thank you for giving us a, a history of the, the word role-playing. It comes from the Latin root. 
playing a role. <laughs> More specifically, modern RPGs have their deepest roots in something called war games, which sounds like a PlayStation game franchise. Wouldn't be surprised or if it isn't. movie from the 1980s. <laughs> It sounds like a boring video game franchise. War, war games, just war games. <laughs> what do you? I mean, so it's just a so it's a like a war game. Yeah, just war games. Uh, I imagine it to be a little bit like that game. They have one. Quarter... Isn't it just Risk? <laughs> yes, Risk it, is. It's literally just a war game. Yeah, but Risk has a fun name. Um, no, also when I think true. of it as a like a video game i picture it as that stupid old arcade game where you like sit in a fake tank and like have to drive it through oh, the battle zone that one i think they have one a quarter world um you should not drive tanks drunk just mm. unless they're virtual then it's fine <laughs> it's fine but you're gonna waste your quarter yeah <laughs> oh like you're gonna like you're gonna make it stretch at the uh, the fucking street fighter machine <laughs> no i usually put it in mortal Kombat, and i'm good at that okay okay I have a master's in button mashing. Uh, so war games have origins in ancient strategy games, uh, specifically chess, which, surprised, was used to plan wars and train people on how to play, play, uh, plan wars. And we got to make sure that we get the cardinal out there because he can run like the Dickens, <laughs> but only on the diagonal. Now, you got to watch out for the enemy knights because they're shifty. Should I wear armor? No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> They're coming straight at you. You just go straight around them, Father. We also want to get the queen out there. Now, oh, no, yeah. no battle experience, but she can go anywhere she wants. She can go anywhere she wants. Very powerful. You just have to corner the king. Now, if we get one of you little guys all the way to the other side, <laughs> then the queen, then their queen fights for us, which is like nuts. But that's the rule. Are that's you war. serious? Yeah, that's chess. I can't fucking play chess. You get a pawn on the other side of the board, you can trade it for any kind of piece. Interesting. That's why you can't let them little bastards over. Well, I mean, isn't that like the whole plot of the Trojan War? Plot of the Trojan War. Uh, yeah, the Trojan War is when they <laughs> ran a bunch of people on the other side of the field, and then they all turn into queens. <laughs> See, none of this sounds right, but I don't know enough about chess to dispute it. Oh, uh, I was in the club in middle school. All right. <laughs> when I talk about things not being cool, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> He's a professional. <laughs> he hosts a wrestling show. Yup. <laughs> so it originated as a, a game in India called Lord Help Me Chaturanga, which I thought was a yoga sure. pose. Chaturanga, yeah, I like. I it. I mean, it can be both. It could, um, which was played in the sixth century uh, as a simulation of ancient Indian warfare, a specific war that I, I cannot pronounce because there are a lot of letters in it, and I have respect for the group of people responsible for the war. <laughs> responsible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. And the pieces in that game represented uh, rajas, counselors, infantry, cavalry, chariots, war elephants. Yeah, you definitely got to get your counselors out on the field, man. <laughs> Just a bunch of high school career kids. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to them about their life choices. That'll make them rethink everything. Dave to D7. Hit him with the positivity. <laughs> Chaturanga is considered the most ancient uh, ancestor of Dungeons and Dragons. Because it was the first war game. Hmm. And Dungeons and Dragons literally started as a war game. Moving pieces on a board, get it? I get it. Uh, RPG designer John Wick, not that one. Are we sure? <laughs> uh, I'm having flashbacks to an episode we did about Barbie where there was a toy designer named uh, whoever John Krasinski is playing now. 
Jack, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Uh, no, it's not and that then John we had a, And then we had a 10-minute conversation about Chris people Pine. who play Jack Ryan. Now, yeah, I keep getting John Wick, Jack Reacher, and Jack Ryan all confused. Jack Reacher is Tom Cruise. Okay. Even though apparently in the books, according to my father, Jack Reacher is like a seven foot tall, like bulky man or some okay. shit like that. John Ryan <laughs> is the guy in all the Tom Clancy books? Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Yes. He's the one that was played by Alec Baldwin, right? Like Alec Baldwin, Ben Affleck, Chris Pine. Okay. Yeah. I was going to um, say there. I think there, there was, was a- another one. And John Wick is the American James Bond in that we can't stop letting white guys play him. And uh, John Wick is Keanu Reeves. Whoa. And he's the one you don't you don't mess with his dog, right? That's the one. Okay. I have not seen the movie. So, game designer John Wick. Game designer John Wick has said that chess can be turned into a role-playing game if chess pieces, such as the king, queen, and so on, are given names and decisions are made based on their motivations. All right. Yeah. yeah I'm going to try that next time. Because, okay. I mean, I'm, I just randomly move the pieces around. I might as well go for broke. <laughs> Wait, are you still playing, like, with markers and stuff? No, with uh, middle school kids. Ah, I never left the club. <laughs> According to Wick, Dungeons and Dragons was a, quote, sophisticated, intricate, and complicated combat simulation board game that people were turning into a role-playing game, just like giving your rook a motive in chess. Now, I don't think that's correct, but also he probably knows more about RPGs than I do. <laughs> I mean, it's not not that. D- I mean, how D&D much did he Google chess? So Wargaming moved from professional training to the hobby market with the publication of a game called Little Wars, a children's toy soldier game, which was written by H.G. Wells in 1913. Man, H.G. Wells invents everything cool. <laughs> Time machines. <laughs> Women and H.G. Wells. I wouldn't be surprised if H.G. Wells turned out to be a woman. And the Chinese. I, was I said gonna the Chinese say, first. And the Chinese. <laughs> actually, I hear H.G. Wells was actually a little Chinese woman. H.G. Wells was a Chinese woman. Google it. Um... So around this time, adults were like, well, we want to do it. Yeah. And began creating games that were more historically based because you have to take something for kids and make it real boring in order in order for like turn of the century adults to be into it. Um, Although a single marker or miniature figure typically represented a squad of soldiers in these games, some quote skirmish level or man to man games did exist where one figure represented one person. Please, Emily, man on man. (laughs) M M to M. Those dandies did love their war games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thus we see a shift closer <laughs> towards the character-based system that we know and love today. Uh, the board uh, the board war game diplomacy invented by Alan B. Calhammer in 1954 and released in 1959. Don't know what he was doing for five years. <laughs> game development takes time. Um <laughs> uh, made social interaction and interpersonal skills a part of its gameplay. A live-action variant of diplomacy called Slobovia was used for character development rather than conflict. And I did look into the Slobovia Slobovia thing, and what I can tell, it was a game where people played as a monarch of a country, and they wrote stories about themselves as the character, which other players responded to. It was forum-based role-playing on paper. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I know. I want to get my hands on that game. You have. That's Model UN right there. (laughs) Now, I have actually played Diplomacy. Is it fun? It is kind of fun, yeah. Um, you, You like... You have the board and you like go off with people into the, the corners and make like secret deals. 
and then everyone moves their pieces at once. So that's the big thing. Okay. So, oh, interesting. But, yeah, but if someone has already like moved into this spot, or if two people are trying to move into the same spot, then it doesn't happen. So that what you do is you like tell like, oh, I'm gonna go over here, so don't, and then you go tell someone else, no, I'm actually gonna go over here, so don't, you know, like I, I'm not very good at it. I've just played it before. <laughs> I tried to like dive into it a little bit more for the sake of doing my research, but it 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 was so dense. Yeah, because it was old timey, mm-hmm. and they had time to memorize all of the rules. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm just sitting on my couch at 8 p.m. the night before we do an episode. <laughs> they As still make they diplomacy. I think there's even an app version. Interesting. We'll look into that. I mean, you don't have. I'm not telling you to. I'm just if your listeners are interested. Oh no, I am interested in just seeing what all of this is about. Oh yeah. Um. So it's, we're. It's a World War One simulator. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. You can play the Ottomans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bothering you, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I just. Uh, they didn't do a full like putting me under thing for the dental work, but I'm still a little loopy. Okay. And I'm just picturing a lot of furniture. Yeah. Um, so we're going to skip forward to the 1960s, which I guess it's not that far of a skip since diplomacy was released was in saying, 1959. Yeah, we're, we're going to take a so, brief skip. <laughs> uh, it's going to skip ahead a year. Yeah, it's been a year. <laughs> uh, fantasy elements were beginning to be added to the war games thanks to our fantasy overlord J.R.R. Tolkien and his influence awesome. on nerds the worldwide. Also, I found out the other day that it's Tolkien's fault that C.S. Lewis is a Christian. Oh. And then he got mad at C.S. Lewis for not picking the right church. <laughs> so it was like, come to Jesus. Not that Jesus. Wrong Jesus. Yeah, that sounds My like Jesus. old white guys in the 50s. Uh, anyway, so we have Tolkien to thank for Narnia, which I guess is fine. Some people like Narnia. I do. I like Narnia. I just have to ignore the Narnia gave us Ben Barnes. Narnia was all we were allowed in Catholic school. <laughs> I was we were too young for Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter was just a big old no go. I still did it, but a lot of shit. What shame. a rebel. This isn't even the part where I yell about religion. Um, <laughs> it was around that time that Gary Gygax's medieval war game chain That can't be his real name. Gary Gygax? Yeah, that's gotta be fake. I don't know, we can verify. I'm kidding, it's <laughs> is his real name, I'm just being a dick. It's not like Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> sounds faker um as a sidebar my favorite part of that new elton john biopic trailer is when he's like i think i'm gonna change my name to elton and then some rando is like but that's my name yeah (laughs) (laughs) sucks for you uh no he his his name is ernest gary guy oh wow so he is a liar Uh, Chainmail uh, was starting to add fantasy elements to the game. And around the same time, Dave Arnson, am I pronouncing that right? Arnson, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Uh, created Blackmore, which included concepts you might recognize like levels, armor class, dungeon crawls, hit points, all of that. In 1974, the first true RPG was released by Tactical Stu- uh, Studies Rules. Oh, I hate their name. TSR. TSR. <laughs> Tactical Studies Rules. I'm not saying it's not dumb. I'm just saying that's the name. It sounds like it's something <laughs> that they like said in a passion. Like, oh, man, Tactical Studies Rules. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary's like, that's the name of the company. <laughs> uh, Gygax and Arnson c- collaborated to create Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Gygax has gone on record to say that he only expected to sell 50,000 copies of the game. I think he did it, guys. Good job. Even though I have literally never paid for... A Dungeons and Dragons book? <laughs> I've paid no, for like, many. I, I think Travis paid for one, so I've so I've paid enough for everyone here on this podcast. 
Thanks for <laughs> thanks for taking care of us. <laughs> At the same time as the release of D and D, Mar Barker worked on and released Tecumel. Mm, nope, not familiar. Sorry. Well, this guy released a game, Tecumel, and uh, Empire of the Petal Throne, which wow, that sounds okay. Empire of the Petal Throne, and I understand it's P E T L E L, right? Not P E D A L. Yeah, it's it's flowers, not cars. Because I'm I'm actually I'm picturing uh, Petal Throne, and it's it sounds like a, a badass Mad say, Max thing. Yeah, like the Iron Throne, like a crossing <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones and Mad Max. Yeah. It's the, hey I'm guys, just picturing like. To, <laughs> podcast to, is canceled. We're canceled. <laughs> we're doing <laughs> a pitch meeting. Yeah. Symbolist and Backhouse came out with Chivalry and Sorcery in 1977 as a competitor to D&D. I think any role-playing game released at that point was a competitor to D&D. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, the approach for this game was a fantasy game with more realism in the system than what D&D provided. Blah. Oh, yeah. That, hey, let me, let me tell you, uh, that always goes over That's exactly super well. what we needed. <laughs> uh, Tunnels and Trolls was also released in the mid-70s by Ken St. Andre and is still available today. Um Really? I, I'm biased towards D&D, but Tunnels and Trolls is just a chef's kiff's perfect name. It's a good name. I It makes me want to just play a game of Tunnels and Trolls. Well, little TNT? Little TNT? We'll say no to little TNT. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I think it's so funny that like since Dungeons and Dragons, the naming convention is set. If you're making a fantasy role-playing game, it's this and this. Castles and Crusaders. <laughs> Trolls and tunnels, mazes and monsters. Like, oh yeah, that that good good Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, the great Tom Hanks movie. When we were trying to name our role playing podcast, like we went through so many like blah and blah, and there is nothing there anymore. Oh, there's one there because I've been camping it for the whole time. Shane, <laughs> <gasps> Dum Dums and Dragons is the perfect is. name it for a podcast, is. and I used That's it. Perfect. Sorry. Are we gonna have to bleep that? Uh, nah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, dipshits and demons, uh, <laughs> little R-rated versions of Dum Dums and Dragons. There's a <laughs> yeah. soft and cute. And soft and cute. Yeah, Dum Dums. Yeah, and manly. manly. Yeah, oh yeah. There's one thing about me, it's I'm a real rugged motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so with a wide variety of offerings in the role-playing arena, people still could not get enough material. Because if there's one thing nerds like... It's material. Mm-hmm. And everybody, I guess. That's why we have all those fucking Marvel movies. Yep. We're in what we call a boom period. <laughs> <laughs> and they last forever, typically. <laughs> typically, yeah. Uh, TSR filled the need by releasing Advanced Dungeons & Dragons between 1977 and 1979. In addition to the release of uh, AD&D, Dragon Magazine was formed to support the hobby, and this magazine lives on today in electronic-only format, as most magazines do true i was gonna say what mega mega what we'll be going back to the magazines when i start uh do you know why they called it ad and d advanced Dungeons i do Dragons. not uh gygax and arneson had a big old fight arneson left the company and guess who had the rights to the name dungeons and dragons um, couldn't call it that no more had to call it advanced dungeons and dragons is that technically a loophole that is technically a loophole because they got away with it for like a decade or more. So I could start a company like Advanced Frigidaire, and I don't know why. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think anyone was in a position of enough power to really sue anybody else, like, real hard. So I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, I, I feel like say. that is the end of my notes. Um, the game remained popular, 
blah, 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 blah. And now Shayna's going to get into some heavy, heavy drama. And we're going to turn Sarah so she can see Shane. Are we going, are we, we're, we're going to me? We're going to Shane. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about people. a little game called Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> what is it? Uh, okay, so this is the story about how Dungeons and Dragons created its own biggest competitor. That still goes on to this day. So um, I love that already. TSR so owned Dungeons this. and Dragons up until the mid '90s, when they basically went bankrupt and got bought out by a little company called Wizards of the Coast. Yes, Wizards of the Coast was uh, at that point flush with their money from that they made on Magic: The Gathering. You might have heard of it. I didn't little know that game. was the same Kinda company, indie. but now now I do. Yeah, so uh, Magic: The Gathering made them more money than uh, God. For at least a, a game company. Uh, and so they were able to purchase the failing TSR and also rebuild some bridges, um, reach back out to Arneson, and got the rights back to just Dungeons & Dragons. So uh, I feel like Magic the Gathering has kept up its profits because you literally have to purchase something in order to play it. Yeah. As opposed to D&D where, again, the internet is just full of stuff. Well, that's true. But anyway, we'll get into it. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure we will. We'll get into it. Um, <laughs> That's a small font you have on those notes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so with when they when they they deal with Arneson so that they can eventually call the next version of D and D that they're going to be making just D and D. Yes, this becomes third edition. Uh, in 1999, Wizards of the Coast is bought by Hasbro. You might have heard of. Oh, that no, little toy company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hasbro's the one that owns one half of everyone's childhood. They got G.I. Joe, Transformers, Monopoly, And the other Risk. half is Mattel. And the other half is Mattel. And they're... <laughs> we'll see how long they last. Uh, Hasbro is <laughs> very big. And very, very hungry. Um, so uh, Wizards of the Coast fuses something that they've already been working on called uh, a game called Alternity which was a sci-fi role-playing game. They take elements of that with old-school D&D and uh, make third edition, which they're hoping to basically pare down what Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition had become. Mm-hmm. It was overbloated, uh, and so they're, they're just trying to streamline and simplify it. Too too big for people to like be able to play it easily. Yeah, and, and it was it was uh, hard to get into, unless you had like the right group. Just as you're uh, the historian in residence, uh-huh. um, in Stranger Things... Yeah. What edition were they playing? Second edition. Okay, those are some smart-ass oh. kids. Okay, continue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, though. Back then, you didn't have a choice. I actually, my, this is a side tangent anecdote. The first books of d and I ever bought were some second edition books when I was, like, seven or eight. And that was in, like, the, the mid-60s? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was the mid-60s. Yeah, no, it was uh, probably, like, 90, 95, 96. So right before Wizards bought yeah. them uh and i got some used copies of the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide and i couldn't understand a damn thing i was <laughs> too young and seven? didn't have a didn't have a, any hand holding so i did that with harry potter i tried reading it when i was like six and my brain was like oh nope you can't handle this so i had to give it like two years yeah um so the other thing that wizards does um when they bring out third edition they introduce something called the open gaming license and the D20 brand. So what they what they do is they release the rules for third edition and say, this is just an engine. Anyone can use this engine to build game products. So other publishers can make content for not only D&D, but like they can make their own third edition, whatever. Like they can, they can take the open gaming license, which is the wider version of it, mm-hmm. and make kind of whatever they want. But if they want that like logo that says D20, that 
consumers will know that this works with Dungeons and Dragons, the mm-hmm. biggest role playing game on the planet. They can put this little seal on there. You know, Wizards gets a little more oversight over what the content is, but they can put this on. And so this is a this basically creates a second boom in RPG. Kind of like how other people can make K cups that work with the Keurig, but they're not technically Keurig brand. Exactly. Okay. Ah, uh, it's like the analogy. Nintendo seal of approval too. Okay. The D20 is like the Nintendo seal of approval, but the open gaming license is sort of a little looser. You find that in the beginning, most people go for the D20 because it's like, oh, this is branded. This will help us market the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, OB, the OGL comes a little more tempting later on, and we'll find out why. Um, older companies begin to convert their own products to the D20 engine. So people are making their own like core games compatible with basically what, what D&D is. Okay. So uh, in 2002... Oh, sorry. The other thing that happens in 2000 is um, corporate layoffs start happening. Mm. Hasbro introduces this new fun uh, yearly tradition, which is laying people off in December. That's that's perfect marketing for a toy company. Yes. Merry Very Christmas. Goodbye. Um, one of these first victims is a woman named Lisa Stevens, who was head of Wizards uh, magazine division. Okay. She was doing Dragon and Dungeon magazines. Uh, and on her way out, she made it clear that, hey, if, if those ever go up for sale or whatever, let me know, because I, I want to mm-hmm. continue those brands. Yeah. So in 2002, Lisa Stevens, new company, Pezo, gets the rights to publish Wizards of the Coast magazine. So she gets Dungeon, Dragon, and Star Wars Insider, the official Star Wars fan magazine. The main trilogy, yes. <laughs> the big, yeah, the big three. Um so uh, the, she uses this as a platform to uh, revive and innovate something called Linked Adventures, which was, uh, D&D had this for years, the little single adventure booklets yeah. that you could buy. Um, you could buy those in a series that would lead you through like a big overarching narrative. And So, so kind of like comics where you can buy them issues individually, but then they release... Well, it's 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 like comics in that they are connected via uh, narrative, okay, or as opposed to just being one shots. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like it's like an arc versus a one shot. Okay, is what okay. It is. So, um, Pezo starts doing that in their magazine. So you have an increased release schedule and like higher availability, a lower pay bar. So like this becomes very popular. Uh, they they sort of start you know they they start, they become a hit. Like they're getting a lot of fans. Pezo is. Um, so in 2003, the D20 uh, imprint is shaken to its core and tested for the first time uh, with uh, someone tries to publish a book called The Book of Erotic Fantasy, which is sex rules for Dungeons and Dragons. I wish this audio medium could capture I, the faces that just happened. Uh, I, I wish that I had say, actually brought my copy. What? <laughs> yeah. What? Um, Hold on. What was this called again? The Book of Erotic Fantasy. There is nudity in it. It is mostly photoshopped people uh we I was gonna say what putting out instagram posts that have the pictures we mentioned in the episodes so. yeah uh it, it worse remind me and i'll take a picture of myself holding it and i'll send it to you later um just to prove that yes <laughs> like, like i have a, it like a newspaper with yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so was back, coast... back up one second remind me what year was that 2003 it took until 2003 to release sex dungeons and dragons an official rule did you say sex okay. dungeons and dragons <laughs> I did. I'm so proud of you. Doms and dragons. Um, Oh, I hate this cover. (laughs) No, it's bad. It's bad. It's like a succubus lady. Uh, I will be holding... You'll you'll see a picture of me holding the book later. (laughs) 
Um, We're sorry in advance. So uh, Wizards goes like, no, 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 no. And they and they basically add an addendum to D20 last minute that says, no, we get a content review. So they pull the, the D20 logo off that, and the Book of Erotic Fantasy is just published under the OGL because there's nothing they can do about that. That's an open license, so sorry. It's still out there. Shane Hosey can still buy a copy. <laughs> and Shane Hosey did. In like 2005 <laughs> or something. Um I still, I still threaten my players with it occasionally. Anytime they start getting too lewd, I'm like, all right, well, I have rules for this. Uh, sex Dungeons and Dragons. Sex Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so this kind of turns off a lot of publishers. The sex rules really turned off a lot of publishers. Uh, no, the, the fact that Watsy... The opposite of what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, Wizards of the Coast, which I occasionally will just say Watsy. That's what I'm mean. Okay. Uh that they can just sort of take away the D20 imprint from anybody at any time, which if, if that had ever happened to somebody, that means they can't sell back copies of their books that have the logo imprinted on it. I feel like the rules chains change when, when penises get involved. It, it happens. Um, see how it goes. So publishers move en masse to the open gaming license, which Watsi has no direct control over. Some people in even entire uh, publish entire new, like, engines to compete with the OG. Like they use the open gaming license to create their own rules and settings and stuff like that. Um, such as in 2004 castles and crusades. And by 2008, we'll get another one. But anyway, 2004 Pezo starts releasing game aids, such as the first dungeon master screen for D and D, uh, 3.5. So, um, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, I think we have one of those hanging out around here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the, the Pezo one, but... Um, it, it, it... I think it's a, a af, like an aftermarket yeah. screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they And then they also start going back into classic settings that Wizards was sort of, not ignoring, but not publishing anything for, like Greyhawk and Dark Sun and all these classic um, D&D settings that people had fallen in love with in the 80s and early 90s, mm-hmm. but just hadn't been supported. Uh, and then, uh, this is also the year that they lose the Star Wars Insider imprint to Lucasfilms. Well, so, that checks out. Yeah, Lucasfilm decides, oh, no, we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna take this magazine back. And, uh, this teaches Pezo an important lesson. They cannot rely on other people's properties to survive. OPP. They're not down with it anymore. Um... <laughs> So 2005 is a breaking point. Hasbro decides they're going to split all their brands into core and non-core. Basically, core brands are the ones making above a certain amount of money that are going to keep getting money and support. And the non-core brands, well, they're kind of, you know, they're not really there. Wizards of the Coast is basically like, yeah, we're Wizards of the Coast. We make Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, so we are a core brand. And Hasbro goes, no. Magic the Gathering is a core brand. They make enough money. Dungeons and Dragons, no, no, not enough money. So Wizards basically goes, uh, well, actually, you see the same thing. Like um, Parker Brothers used to be like, oh, yeah, Parker Brothers, we do Monopoly, we do Risk and all that stuff. But Hasbro's like, no, 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 Monopoly is a thing. Risk is a thing. (laughs) So same thing. So Did you, like, know that those were Parker Brothers games off the top of your head, or did you look that up? I just have to know. I knew it when I was making these notes. Okay. Uh, and I could, you know what? I could even be wrong. No, I think you are right. Like, it sounds right. It sounds right. I I'm not going to verify. I can tell you that Clue is Hasbro because <laughs> I am looking at it directly. Well, yeah, but because everything is Hasbro now. It used to probably be either Parker Brothers, maybe even Milton Bradley. Milton Bradley is 
Well, it was still a thing when Life Twists and Turns came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Watsy decides D&D need to start making more money, and so a new edition begins to form in their minds. Fourth edition. Fourth edition. This is where we're starting to get into the actual meat of what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> 45 minutes later. <laughs> uh, you've been on episodes with me. You know how I research. Look, the car ride is always is fun, but Disneyland is always going to be better. Uh, not when you're playing D&D in the car. So, <laughs> When are we going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> uh, well, the fireworks are about to start shooting, trust me, because the yeah. drama is about to start. Um so, meanwhile, Pezo is starting to work their own, like, narratives and game game world building into their Dungeons & Dragons magazines. So, 2006, it's a good thing Pezo started working in their own stuff because that's when Wizards of the Coast decide, it says, hey, we're not going to continue letting you license Dungeon & Dragon magazines. So, we're going to take that back. So, that's ours again. In 2000, as of 2007, you, don't, you can't do no, no more. So, that gives them a year to just start developing their own stuff and... Uh, develop. Oh no, uh, they do. <laughs> um, they start working on their own, like like I said, their own settings, uh, and they start publishing the the popular adventure paths, which I was talking about earlier. They take it out of the magazine and make it their own its own thing. So now it's this adventure paths. Don't worry about it. It's its own. It's not a magazine. You can't call it a magazine because it's not a magazine anymore. It is a booklet. It is a booklet, but it is released on the schedule of a magazine, so people continue to it keeps it fresh in people's minds. Uh, so yeah, 2007, uh, Wizards starts calling all their brands home. Uh, so, uh, other settings that they'd license out to third party companies, they're ending those and they're bringing them back into house. Uh, and this makes all the publishers that are still using D20 and OGL nervous. They're like, okay, if there's a big edition change, what's that going to mean for us? Cause there was a mini edition change between 3.0 and th- what we called 3.5, mm-hmm. Uh, a couple years into the life of third edition, and that screwed over a lot of people too, because it changed the game just enough that everyone had to reprint their books. Uh, yeah. So, uh. yeah. Um, so the uh, Gen Con 2007 Wizards announces fourth edition officially. It's going to come out, and the speculation begins. The biggest question: What is going to happen with D20 and OGL? Are they going to get updated? Uh, is fourth edition going to have its own thing? Is it are they even going to release the engine as like the open way they did with third edition? So um, at the con, Pezo is the promised con? the con, uh, 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 Gen Con. Okay. Gen Con 2007, uh, they announce the game and also they tell Pezo, "Hey, don't worry, you're going to get a playtest copy." Well, they never did, and instead. They start working on their own set of rules. I did not know that this was this recent. I thought it was no. This is this is yeah. Uh, this is all while I started playing D anD. d So basically, this guy, this uh, freelance designer, Jason Bullman, uh, Bullman, yeah, uh, who who had worked freelance for Wizards of the Coast sort of for years. He's like, oh yeah, doing a lot of stuff. God, that sounds like the best job. Yeah. Well, suddenly all that freelance work dried up. I wonder why. <laughs> And so he had this document that he just sort of made uh, for fun, which was a, re- a refining of 3.5 rules, streamlined a lot of things, clarified a lot of things. He called it 3.75 rules. And <laughs> Pezo just hires the guy and says, hey, you want to do something with that? So 2008, January, uh, Watsi announces, we are making OGL stronger by better defining it, which is beautiful corporate doublespeak. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> signals to many that the party is over. Um, in March, Pezo officially announces Pathfinder, a game that's going to use the 3.75 rules, and they immediately release the alpha for download. So they're like, hey, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. And um, they also, uh, so they declared the largest open playtest in RPG history, eventually gaining over 50,000 downloads. Uh, which is pretty good for a hobbyist market. In 2007. In 2007. Yeah, not bad. 2008. So here's the details. They finally released uh, for the OGL. It's going to be renamed, redubbed the Game Systems License. Uh, number one, it's for D&D only. So fantasy content only. You can't take these rules and make a sci-fi game. Number two, content restrictions. Obviously, you know, ever since the whole Book of Erotic Fantasy debacle. No dicks. No dicks. Uh <laughs> Number three, it more closely resembles the D20 license in that content created with the GSL had to depend on the core books. So the 4E core books. No independent game would be built using this engine. So someone couldn't, you know, make their own setting or, or not setting, but their own like game with the, with these rules. Um, and this was the, the kicker for a lot of people. Any publisher that used the game systems license on a product line that they introduced were then prohibited from ever publishing that line in the open gaming license. So if you were to like update a game you've been working on for years in the OGL with the new one, you couldn't make any more OGL stuff after that. This was called a poison pill. And it's basically left you at the mercy of Hasbro's lawyers and brother, you don't want to deal with Hasbro's lawyers, but positively, if you followed all these rules, you get to use the actual D&D logo. Not like the D20 logo, which was kind of a knockoff, but the actual, for real, Dungeons & Dragons logo. You just couldn't use it on the front cover you had to put it on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I wish that this uh, audio medium could capture. Yeah. Everyone's everyone's making, like, um, Squidward face. It's just like, more. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> publishers start dropping like flies. Nobody wanted it on this. Um, people that have been working with Wizards for years, like uh, Green Ronin, Fantasy Flight, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just dr name dropping stuff for the people who actually know who I'm talking about. Um, so this didn't stop anyone from publishing for he shit. So David Kersner, a, a former IP lawyer and president of Kersner and Company Publishers, said, quote, copyright infringement is basing your work on someone else's creative expression. Rules are not creative expression. Also, it's not based on the rules. It just happens to work with the rules. Perfect from an That's IP lawyer. That's very clever. Yeah. Uh, Joe Goodman of Goodman Games. What we're doing is essentially using the third edition OGL to produce modules that are not th third edition compliant, but follow the rules of fourth edition. <laughs> Which is basically a fancy way of saying, fuck you, Wizards of the Coast. I love it. So um, at Gen Con in 2008, you had the big fourth edition unveiling party, and who should show up but Pezo with a hand or the hardbound copy of the Pathfinder beta? I feel like we, same should, time. we should mention that Gary Gygax is dead at this point. Oh uh, yeah, he dead, and he—I mean—he hadn't really been working with Wizards of the Coast or anything, like a little bit. They had him—they had him writing some articles in magazines. Yeah, but he was pretty well out yeah, of he the D &D an, game. He died in like 1994. No, 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 no. Nin no, no. He died. Actually, I don't think he's dead yet. I think he's. I think he died in two thousand. No, I think he's. I think I was reading that he is since passed, but like it's fairly uh, recently. He died in two thousand eight, March fourth. Hey, yeah. I was just oh. researching this stuff. So, uh, so, so he, died, really, he dies this year at age sixty nine. Nice. 
I would imagine that all this drama just killed Gary Gygax. Uh, I don't think, I, honestly, I don't think he cared that much at this point. And not about <laughs> D&D. Like, he had made so much other stuff by this time. Uh, I think Castles and Crusaders is his. He's his own episode at this point. Gary's his own yeah, thing. Yeah, probably. Uh, post-death Gary is its own thing, too. Uh, his ghost came back <laughs> Gary's legacy is a complicated thing and gave the stamp of approval to Pathfinder it's really weird <laughs> um, so yeah Pezo just shows up and just takes a big old shit and whizzes the coast cornflakes <laughs> releasing this this hard coast like oh you got a book hey, weird we got a book too um, so this gave players who were already resistant to change uh, an alternative to what they were seen as a drastic change to Dungeons and Dragons here are some major changes from 3rd edition to 4th edition. Now, keep in mind, I played all this stuff. I've only played 5e, so... Uh, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so, changes in 4th edition. Homogenization of classes. All classes have powers so that, quote, even a fighter is as fun to play and as tactically satisfying at all levels of play as a wizard. Um, That's dumb. <laughs> number two, cutting of core, cl- core classes. So, in the first player's book for 4th edition, there was no bard, there was no monk. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Those they, are the two things. They appear in later core books. The Player's, edition, the player's Handbook 2 and The Player's Handbook 3. Um, classes are now defined by role and power source, adding to the sameness of all the classes. And uh, this, this is, in your boy's personal opinion, <laughs> rules for the roleplay <laughs> aspect of the game atrophy, atrophy down to near nothing, while the combat rules are almost everything, making the whole game practically just about fighting because when all you got is a hammer everything starts to look like a kobold that's worth 30 experience points (laughs) a lot of people compared it to an mmorpg which i think is fair because all these powers just felt like the thing that you click on and it resets either oh i can do this at will so i can just keep clicking and spamming this one power or it's an encounter so i can click on it and let it recharge for the next fight or it's daily so i click on it and i recharge and then go to sleep anyway Pathfinder, on the other hand, now keep in mind, this is full disclosure. This is Shane Hosey open book, full disclosure. I've never played Pathfinder. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Pathfinder is what they use on uh, Harmon Quest. Right? Uh, yes. I think they might actually have moved to 5th edition, but I think that. And I know on Harmon Town they were playing Pathfinder. I know that uh, in the second season of Harmon Quest, um, Dan said that they could say that they had played Dungeons and Dragons, but they were in no way allowed to imply that they were playing. Dungeons and Dragons currently. <laughs> uh, so Pathfinder uh, touted no dead levels. So in 3.5, like every other level, you would just get like an ability bonus or, or uh, like an ability score upgrade or whatever. This is like you get a power, you get a fun power every level. Every level feels cool. Oh my God, this sounds so boring. Yeah, I know. Here's the thing. Uh, so you got a level 20 uh, cap ability that acts as a pinnacle for that class. Reworking of overcomplicated systems like grappling. Uh, more extensive explanation of certain rules that had been questioned throughout 3.5. By big nerds. Yep. <laughs> and uh, more importantly than any other, out of this stuff, a friendlier relationship with third-party publishers making uh, for a lot of Pathfinder content. So a lot of people were making Pathfinder stuff. Okay. And chief among those was Pezo, because <laughs> they still had that magazine-like schedule. Like, yes. they were still living that life. Um. So, basically, the, the main difference between 4th and, and, and Pezo, in, in, in my opinion... I, I need a picture of this Shane, like, nah. I have a cold... I'm, like, sweating. <laughs> Would you like me to turn the fan 
fine. No, I am fine. Uh, I just have I have a I have a bit of a shine on me. Uh, I need some powder. Um, so like, third edition is very what they call crunchy. It's very n- numerically mechanical. Like there's a there's mechanics for everything. You're rolling dice for everything. Um, and fourth edition, like I said, the the combat is very crunchy, but everything else is a lot of a lighter touch. Um, Pathfinder took the crunchiness of 3.5 and just added more grit, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I never got into Pathfinder because at the end of the day, I found out that I didn't like 3.5 a lot. When I started playing 4th edition, there were parts of it that I did really like. Um, And eventually, spoiler alert, 5th edition is like exactly what I want out of a role-playing game. So that's kind of how we end up. But uh, let's let's round out here. The, here's the death of fourth edition, uh, 2010. Mm-hmm. Wizards releases a D and D Essentials, which is a slight rework of fourth edition rules, bringing in some changes to make the game friendlier to new players. But it just confused everybody. I mean, yeah, Pe- people didn't know if it was like, yeah. okay, is this 4.5? Is this like a new edition? Should I throw out my old books? Is this the new thing? Um, it's dead by 2011. It, it doesn't Cut. even really last a year. Good work, guys. So it's like two years, one year. There's yeah. beef in it. Uh, so the, this year also saw the cancellation of two more books, and mid-year reports were coming out suggesting that Pathfinder was outselling Dungeons & Dragons. <gasps> this was like the first time this had probably ever happened in roleplay. Because well, they were the only game, literally the only game in town for a long time. Oh yeah, I mean, like maybe maybe like White Wolf, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, maybe Which got close. Which we've all heard of, so clearly. Well, hey, yes. there are people out there Very out popular there games. It. Uh, so in 2012, the New York's New York Times January 9th edition ran the following uh, in the, in an article about this is Times important. This is New York Times important, and this quote I love this quote. The same the same place that publishes Ronan Farrow's hard hitting journalism. Yeah. Okay. Well, just, I mean, I don't know about 20 in 2012, but I just had to make sure. Quote: True believers have lost faith. Factions squabble. The enemies are not only massed at the gates of the kingdom, but they have also broken through. So the, the times that, that broke the Harvey Weinstein story, that's the, the same times. Yeah. That was actually, sorry to correct you, that was the New Yorker. But oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> same sort of. Look, it's the paper of note. I mean, it's still the New York fucking times. There yeah. are too many, like, smart people newspapers. Hold it's on. one of them, they're smart people newspapers. Emily, what have we... What did we talk about at the beginning of this? Nothing is cool. It's true. No one is too good for anything. It's true. It <laughs> doesn't exist. You did warn us. I mean, you got to understand, like, Dungeons & Dragons is, a, just in terms of pure capitalism, a very big brand. Like, brand-wise. Yeah. It's a name that I most people else... recognize, even if they don't know anything about gaming. It's true. It's true, it is. So, it's New York okay. Times. It's New okay. York Times. Okay. Now, it's just, I it say, was the purple I would also language wager that, really that it deserves yeah. to be in there with the crossword. Yes. Right? They have the crossword. Yeah. Okay. okay. They probably have a crossword. I don't read. <laughs> so Clearly. Wizard of the Coast in that article announces work had begun on fifth edition. So, which, which they were calling at the time D and D Next, which I am really glad they didn't stick oh with. God. It sounds like a Pepsi product. Yep. Uh, so this is just a quick breakdown. First edition lasts twelve years. Second edition eleven years. Third edition eight years. Fourth edition three and a half. <laughs> Ouch. So, uh, 2014, Watsy releases 5th edition to much acclaim from myself. 
Shane Hosey <laughs> says it's great. I joined the playtest about a year before it got uh, published, and it, like we just we just took our game and moved it straight into like fifth edition playtest. Okay. Really enjoyed playing it, uh, and then. Uh, let's see what, what what did I write here? Uh, I play tested it for about a year leading up to it, and it was the tits. Love this shit. Still do. That is my quote. Yeah. Uh, and then last year, 2018, Pezo holds a massive play test for Pathfinder 2.0. Uh, what changes are going to be made? Is it going to be D and D 3.9, 4.8, Only time will tell. <laughs> I don't play that shit. Too crunchy. I'm way more into Dungeon World anyway. <laughs> Okay, why don't you tell us about modern-day applications of Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, so first, actually, cause we're going to talk about a little fun. We're going to take a little side trip uh, that I like to call Dungeons & Dragons and Satan- Satanic Panic. Yes. Yeah. We can't... I'm not going to have a podcast episode where we don't mention Can we subtitle Panic. this, What Happens When You Listen to Four-Year-Olds? Yes. Mm. <laughs> All right, so back in the... We're going to say this is like the 70s, 80s. So we're late, going we're late seventies, early eighties. We're going backwards, because who cares about chronology? Fuck it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so tabletop games, D and D in particular, um, started receiving a lot of media attention in kind of the late nineteen seventies. It wasn't great uh, in the eighties, especially. You know, D and D has always been kind of viewed of this weird hobby for geeky teens to play in their basement, and that was kind of. I think it it's still the perception. You could also do it in an attic. Yeah, I don't see. I don't get the <laughs> reputation at all. <laughs> I say at least me, who did not get into D anD D until probably two years ago. Um, I always consider it's like the very absolute nerdiest thing you can do until they invented LARPing. Yeah, I mean, after LARPing came out, it <laughs> became a little less of a stigma. See, for me, I always considered the nerdiest kids in school to be the Magic the Gathering kids. But actually, he's got a point. <laughs> Uh, Travis has a friend. Who, and that's also true. Well, Travis has a friend who competes in Magic the Gathering on a professional level. Like that's all he does, does he or he just money? goes to tournaments. Well, he goes to tournaments, but it's a paid situation. Is that all he does, though? Oh no! Oh hey, it's Travis. Okay. I was gonna say, does he actually make a living on oh, it? Oh no, he or... also works Saturday Market. Hey, Travis. <laughs> Hello. Um, <laughs> never mind. I'm not gonna ask you about Charles and Magic the Gathering. <laughs> anyway. So, um, and then also, like, everything cool in the 80s, it set off a moral panic. Well, yeah. As you do. Uh, so one of the first controversies was in 1979. Um, this is a 16-year-old named James Dallas Egbert III. I had to say his full name. It's pretty great. Uh, he's a computer science student science student at Michigan State University. So he's, like, 16 and in college. So he was he's a super smart doomed kid. from the start. <laughs> yeah, so he disappeared from his dorm room. Um, and his family hired this private detective and he goes and I watched, it was New York times actually had a video on this. And so the private detective like walks into his dorm room and he sees like the D and D manuals. And then he sees a cork board and there's some pins on the cork board that are vaguely in the shape of the local was power he plant. Pepe Sylvia ing for real. Okay. Yeah. No, immediately he's like, so what happened is he got so deep into D and D that he lost touch with the reality. And now he's down in the steam tunnels underneath the university. <laughs> yeah so basically he's like yeah this kid's down in the steam tunnels he's playing D for real so there's this like huge search <laughs> yeah now emily you're laughing but you've seen mazes and monsters right <laughs> this is the incident and they that's... based that's... that story no. on yeah <laughs> but he's playing dungeons and dragons for real in a tunnel <laughs> that's tunnels With and trolls that's tunnels and trolls that is tunnels and trolls <laughs> 
Uh, so anyway, they never actually found him in the tunnels, um, but the theory, the private Wait, detective he, put like, out. disappear? I'll get to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this is like largely just the media just repeated this theory that this kid went off the rails playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the reality was actually super sad. Uh, Egbert suffered from clinical depression and gone into the tunnels to attempt suicide. And since it was the 70s, depression didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, so he the, his attempt was actually unsuccessful, but he just hid out in a friend's house for a month. I'm sorry. Do you uh, have the, uh, the quote from the Atlas Obscura article you were reading that you sent me last night? Oh, God. I would have to scroll back on our text message. I don't remember which one you're talking uh, about. You keep talking. I will scroll back. It was harsh. <laughs> You, oh, oh, no, I did not want to put that in the episode because it is really bad. Emily's uh, going to put tell it Shane in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Emily doesn't give I a shit. I was like, I purposely let it out of my, left it out of my nose. It was really harsh. I know which one you're talking about now. Well, that was a nice pep talk you gave me about being a dungeon master. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Keep going. Oh, oh, here we go. Egbert oh, no, hadn't no. rolled so well in his suicide attempt in the steam tunnels and had survived. <laughs> yeah. Real classy Atlas Obscura. Um, anyway, he would later go on to complete suicide in 1980. Uh, so not a happy story. Um, probably not helped by this private detective who goes on to write a book despite having done absolutely nothing to actually find Egbert. Nothing has ever been helped by a private detective. <laughs> no. So, yeah, he like, no wrote this book. whole book. About the case and how dangerous D&D was influencing the youth. Um, actually, all publicity is good publicity, and D&D sales actually skyrocketed after this case, because now it's in the news and everyone knows about it. Well, of course. It was like, I don't know, <laughs> a year ago when everyone was like, uh, hereditary is the worst thing I've ever seen. It's horrifying. Like, of course, I'm going to go see it. Oh, absolutely. And they were all right. Um, after that, it started being linked to, you know, often dubiously, to a lot of other suicides and murders in the 80s. Um, after the suicide of her son in 1982, a woman named Patricia A. Pulling... Oh, this bitch. Bl- yep. <laughs> blamed the game and founded a group called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Or which bad. Which is very clever. Bad. Oh, bad. With two Ds. It's so uh, bad it there's two Ds in it. Described as a one-person advocacy group dedicated to the elimination of the game. You can't be um, a one-person group. <laughs> <laughs> But there's psychiatric care required. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think she was like a one person group, but she got in real good with the Christian rights, so she had like them backing her up, and it was you know, she's she's a nutter. Uh, she first attempted to sue her son's principal, claiming that like he had put a curse on her son's character in the game, and she had decided that curse was real, so she sued the principal about it. So that should tell you everything you need to know, you know about Patty. When I have a magical dispute, I like <laughs> to take it to the United States judicial system. If you feel like a curse has been placed on you, call your local police station. Yeah, call the police. Get in <laughs> touch with your that's lawyer. That's what they deal with. And now, now I'm picturing like the an ambulance chaser ad. Like, if you had a curse put on you by someone you don't know, you gotta call me. <laughs> I kind of imagine at that point it's just a woman named Destiny with a lot of scarves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so she tried to sue this principal for a curse that he put on a child. Yep, in a game. How'd it go? So not great, I don't think. <laughs> I, I I don't have it in my notes. I'm sure it got like thrown out or something. Because well, I mean, it's kind of like with the McMartin. Lawsuit is based on a curse. It's kind of like the McMartin preschool case where it just took one crazy mom. Yep. 
The judge was like, well, what was his saving throw? Uh, Your Honor, it was a 13. Well, that's not enough. He needs I mean, to get rid of those dice. That's not, yeah, he's, he's got he's to get rid of those dice. Those go to dice jail. <laughs> uh, we'll get back to Patricia in a little bit. I'm uh, sure we also, will. <laughs> she'll, she'll come up again. Uh, so in 1984, there was also a murder of a young girl named Mary C. Toey. Um, her killers, Ronald G. Adcox and Darren Lee Molitor, um, were D&D players. Um, so, of course, they were, the D&D was the reason they murdered her. Of course. Um, obviously. And that's kind of the failed logic between a lot of these quote-unquote controversies is Adcox and Molitor played D&D. Then they became killers. So everyone who plays D and D is now officially. There was literally an episode of Forensic Files based solely on how this one dude, who I think wanted to be a vampire, murdered a lady and a baby. And they were like, "Well, he played D and D, so that is clearly what happened." And it's like, "No, Forensic Files. (laughs) That's not forensics." I feel like get a fingerprint on a D and D manual, and then we will talk. Crime in the eighties was a lot like wrestling in the eighties. Like you gotta had a yeah, you, you had to have a gimmick, you know. It, yeah, you weren't just a murderer; you were the D and D murderer. Exactly. You weren't just a wrestler; you were the garbage man wrestler. I mean, they had to make up for the popularity of just normal serial killers in the seventies. So you had yeah, to, yeah, you couldn't just be a serial killer anymore. You had to have you gotta a have a gimmick. You had to have like yeah, couldn't just Otherwise, be a killer like, clown anymore. <laughs> you couldn't just be real handsome. <laughs> Uh, well, the moral panic over Dungeons and Dragons eventually melded with the nation's collective meltdown over satanic ritual abuse, otherwise known as the satanic panic. I don't know. We probably need to do a quick briefer. Um, yeah, if you want to give us like the one-liner on the satanic panic, and then we can revisit it um, this summer. And yeah. Do a full series of yelling about we, don't trust four year olds. I'm almost, almost positive we'll end up doing a satanic panic episode one day. But sure, anyway, satanic panic. Our hands were tied by Barbie and cheese. Uh, <laughs> we have more important topics to get to, like Bigfoot. And and Wisconsin based <laughs> tourist attractions. <laughs> anyway, Satanic Panic was a period in the eighties and early nineties, uh, where the concept of recovered memories was a big thing in psychology. This is an audio medium, but I made uh air quotes around recovered we'll put memories. it on the instagram <laughs> um so that movement led to this whole rash of accusations against parents and daycare providers basically that they're all alleged devil worshipers who incorporated child sexual abuse into their satanic rituals because that's just what you do when you run a daycare um some of these recovered memories if i may be so bold included being flushed down toilets seeing the murder of babies being forced to drink blood uh going to like on airplanes and hanging out with swimming like, pools Cl- with sharks in them, like all during cool. the eight-hour daycare day. Yes, there were tunnels underground that led to Mexico, and they brought them to Mexico. And there were goats. Yeah, yeah that's what we're it was about. all. What's our favorite word? It was all bullshit. We'll get back to that in a later episode. Uh, so anyway, parents were warned that youth who had a history of sexual or physical abuse or who had low self-esteem or like youth who were socially isolated. So basically everyone who's ever played Dungeons and Dragons. Hey! <laughs> were, uh, might be at risk of being warped by this game. You're socially isolated. <laughs> I am. I also play Dun- Dungeons and Dragons. Well, she's physically isolated. She's not in this room. Yeah. You're a woman in her 30s who lives alone (laughs) with your cat. Yeah, I'm an old maid already. So a lot of religious groups started attacking the game for promoting sorcery and demon worship. There it is. Um, And that it opened up young people to influence or actual possession by demons. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've got a wonderful quote by our friend Patricia Pulling. 
Good old Patty. Uh, she described the game as a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination. There's a lot more of these. Get ready. Insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, necromantics, divination, and other teachings. Why didn't they hire her to just do ad work? <laughs> All of those things, well, most of those things sound very fun. I think we should add this to our description of the podcast. (laughs) Uh, It was also attacked by, um, there's Jack T. Chick Publications, the Chick Tracks. Yep. Um, He's a prolific publisher of Christian tracks. It's basically comic books used to proselytize to people. Propaganda. Um, He published, yeah. Uh, He published one called Dark Dungeons. It follows the story of a young girl named Debbie who's recruited into a coven of satanic witches by her dungeon master, Miss Snow. I've read it. It sounds so good. I've read it. Uh, actually, quick anecdote. We uh, at, uh, One of the spec script episodes we did was Stranger Things. Uh-huh. At the very end, uh, the author, my good friend Salem, uh, turned it into a moralizing lesson about how you shouldn't play D&D, and we literally <laughs> handed out chick tracks to the audience of Dark... That's beautiful. They bought like a box of them. They are so cheap. You can buy <laughs> so many of those. <laughs> I would love to get my hands on a copy because it sounds wild. They sell them. You could still buy them from the Chick Corporation or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but then I would have to give my money to the Chick Corporation. But the, what's great is it's like a dollar and you get 50 of the damn things. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we printed too many in the 80s. Just take them. Yeah. Well, they really want the, the word of the Lord out there, so they're not looking to turn a profit. <laughs> so throughout the game, Debbie gives herself over to Satan so that she be- can become a real spellcasting witch, which is definitely what happens when you play Dungeons & Dragons. I'm sorry, that's the plot to the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. We know this, right? Uh, and then her friend Marcy gets so wrapped up in the fantasy that she kills herself when her character is killed off in the game. Look, it's a hard is... thing to go through. <laughs> and this is like a lot of what parents were saying is like, these kids are committing suicide because they... Their characters are dying in the game, so and they can't that feels separate like less, fantasy and reality, so they kill themselves. It feels which, like less of like a demon possession, like mental break thing, and more so much time goes into characters that it is legitimately <laughs> devastating. Oh yeah, especially second edition, back when this was all happening. Oh boy, those character sheets were disgusting. Do you think that? I'm bad guessing now? it wasn't like our fancy PDFs that just autofill everything for you. Yeah. My bard um, could die tomorrow and I'd be okay. No, <laughs> that's a lie. I would be sad if Gnora died. Gnora is the best. I'm a bad example. I, I always have like two or three like backup characters ready to go. I have two, but I'm very attached to my gnome bard. I just like making characters. She's a stand up. My last character's <laughs> name was Ava Goodwin. <laughs> uh, Travis, your D&D group has some pretty good names. Oh, yeah, we got a huge Axeman. Huge Axeman, yes. Uh, <laughs> Infinite Ninja? Well, it's yeah. It's just kind of weird. The other ones are all just kind of weird. One's lazy, Bard Simpson. Oh, of course. Bard Simpson. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Bard Simpson. We got, uh, that's pretty good. Woodsy Harrelson. Ah, ah. <laughs> um, and then you had a character whose name was basically Bear Bearman, correct? Ursakai Bearman. <laughs> yes, Bear Bearman. Yeah, yeah Bear Bearman. Pretty good. Uh, he was raised by bears. What was your new character called? I haven't named him yet. How did we play an entire one-off with a no name? Oh, Hugh-Man. Hugh-Man. <laughs> oh, I remember Hugh-Man. <laughs> He's a furbolg who really wants to look like a human. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sarah has uh, Carol with a K. Carol, my big beefy fighter named Carol, 
who I love and adore, and I actually probably would be devastated if he ever died. Uh, and on a side note, sorry, this is just lazy mm-hmm. character names. Uh, so in one of Gary Gygax's early games, there was a character named Melf, which was literally just someone who wrote male elf on their character sheet, <laughs> and then just like, <laughs> Melf, that's my name. Melf. It is, it is canonized in the system by the spell Melf's Acid Arrow. Still exists in the game. Oh, that's That's beautiful. named after uh, a kid who just wrote male, uh, just wrote M. Elf on the top of his character sheet. Named him that. And his sister, Felf. Yep. Felf. Now there's a Felf. Um, where were we? Oh, Debbie. Debbie. Poor Debbie. Debbie. Oh, Debbie. I don't have much left about Debbie. Just that, you know, at the end of the track, she repents and is saved by Jesus. Praise the Lord. Uh, do I get to talk about Christian role-playing games now? Actually, this would be a great time to talk about Christian <laughs> role-playing games. Uh, that's actually what most of my last page is. <laughs> so as with most good things, fantasy novels, rock music, dating sites, uh, Christians <laughs> disapproved of role-playing in its fantasy form, but still wanted in on the fun. Christians do it better. They gotta take it, make it better. Thanks, Striper. Uh, they didn't want... I mean, obviously, like, Christian rock is better than actual rock. We all know this. It's just fact. Look, you can listen to Under Oath all you fucking want. It's still not going to be as good. P.O.D., baby. (sighs) (laughs) The rest of this episode, I'm just going to start playing Switchfoot songs. Thank you. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they wanted to play without the implications that Satan might be present, um, even if it's in an enemy (laughs) capacity in the game. I think at one point they got so up... uh, D&D's ass that they removed most uh, mentions of, like, demons and whatnot yes. and renamed them. Yeah, they, between, yeah. like, second and third? Uh, actually, it was in second edition. They removed all references to devils, demons. It was actually after Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast that they're like, oh, we got Hasbro money now. Call them devils and demons again. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, so I found one in particular called Dragon Raid, which I think they've renamed recently. Dragon Raid is a tool used to prepare children uh, in their fight for God, which I don't know who you're going to fight with that knowledge, except maybe the person <laughs> who's currently dangling you by your underwear over a trash can. <laughs> well, you know, Christians are the most persecuted people on planet Earth. Of course, Earth. of course, of course. Um, but they refuse to straight up call it role playing. Because that's what the devil does. <laughs> the devil is super into role play. Its primary focus is to help Christians become disciplined in the teachings of the Bible, and its terminology and design assumptions are particularly pitched towards evangelical and fundamentalist Christianity. My face is just an eternal sigh. Now, is this the game where like the players roll like a d20 and everyone, all the monsters roll like a d12? Actually, that is Because they one, don't have the power in, of God in, in my them. notes. Um, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, the first thing I'm just that I... stunting with my knowledge of Christian role playing games. The first thing that I took from it was the adventure master has to be an authority figure, um, so like a priest, or not a priest, but like a pastor, a pastor. or a parent. Um, and enemies roll a smaller dice than the players, um, making it more likely that uh, the PCs, the players, will succeed in their actions. Basically, making it hard for them to lose. Because you can't lose the fight for God. I was going to say, it's hard to lose in Dungeons and Dragons just generally, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's set, <laughs> and this is another fun thing I took from it. It's set in a fictional world called Eden Again. Eden uh, Again? Eden fine. Again. Okay. Kind of like this it's from The Handmaid's than Tale. What I, this is worse than what I was anticipating when you originally brought this up. Why do you think I've been so mad about it for the last week? <laughs> I can't believe you actually did the research to it. Of course I did the research. I like to know what I'm making fun of. <laughs> Yesterday, Shane informed me of a game called 
Dogs in the vineyard. Dogs in the vineyard. He literally told me about it as I was finishing my notes. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, have you checked this out? I'm like, no. Oh, God. I'm scared. So I checked it out. um, And here is the Wikipedia description, because that's as far as I got. Uh, The game is set in, quote, a West that never quite was, unquote, loosely based on the Mormon state of Deseret in pre-statehood Utah. Oh, no. Players are God's watchdogs, or just dogs, who travel from town to town delivering mail, helping out the community, and enforcing the judgments of the true faith of the king of life. This may involve anything from delivering new interpretations to the town steward to executing heretics. As you do. Hey, you want to know something interesting? Always. 2004, uh, it was uh, awarded the Indie RPG Game of the Year, uh, most innovative game. Uh, In 2005, it was nominated for a Diana Jones Award in Excellence of Gaming. It is actually quite well regarded as a role-playing game. I know about this game because my friend, Curtis, my dungeon master, really wants to actually check it out. And L. Ron Hubbard was a good science fiction writer, but that doesn't make it okay. (laughs) (laughs) Look, man, just just another setting. Just another fantasy setting. Uh, The last sentence here is, Dogs have absolute authority within the faith, but not within the laws of the territory territorial authority so their actions can lead to conflict with the government in the east oofa doofa it uh it's from what i understand kind of a, a role-playing game version of the uh, book of mormon I haven't seen sort it. of sort of maybe anyway that's all i have on christian and mormon role-playing i just needed to like put it into the world how how dumb it is I went on a whole wow, fucking thing I was gonna about say, if- like why Lord of the Rings and Narnia is okay, but Harry Potter isn't, and it's just because the big lion is God and Dumbledore isn't. <laughs> I was going to say if we haven't alienated, if we had any Christian, we listeners, don't have any strict Christian listeners. Definitely, definitely no fundamentalists. Alienated them now. They don't have the radio. They don't even have the ra- iPhones are the devil's tool. They never got the radio. <laughs> the radio is the devil's tool. <laughs> Spoken words by women. Uh, okay. You also have some stuff on more modern. Uh... I do. Yeah. So the panic kind of fizzled probably because it turned out that Satan worshiping sex cults weren't real. They should be, and, but they weren't. I mean, it'd be pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> and like all the kids who were into D&D grew up into totally normal, respectable adults. <laughs> I don't know about each and every single one of them. Let's not generalize, well, but... Yes. There are some. We'll we'll talk about some of them a later. A lot of accountants. <laughs> uh, in recent years, tabletop games have started to experience something of a resurgence again. Uh, sale of role-playing games was up like 22% in 2017. Uh, I didn't have 2018 numbers, but it sounded like those were also on track. Uh, starting to shed this perception that it's only played by basement-dwelling nerdlingers. <laughs> I mean, it still is. But it... I would include myself as a basement dwelling nerd. It's not exclusive. I don't have a basement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just a part of this is just the ubiquity in pop culture. Like so many of said nerdlingers grew up to be successful creative types who now talk about how much they love the game. Um, some very cool people who play Dungeons and Dragons, Stephen Colbert, to the surprise of no one. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, award-winning writer and MacArthur Genius Grant recipient. Uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, showrunners for Game of Thrones. That is surprising to absolutely no one. No one. They credit D&D for their early exposure to creative world-building. Uh, Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> a.k.a. The Rock, who I had to bring up because Shane's here. <laughs> See, so, I knew about AKA Vin Diesel, I didn't know about The Rock. I'm sorry, Vin Diesel? 
Oh, Vin Diesel's Vin a Diesel. massive D&D nerd. Vin Diesel's a huge nerd. There was like a 30-year anniversary retrospective book. Vin Diesel wrote the foreword for it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, Pat Oswald, comedian and beloved human being. Uh, Deborah Ann Wall, the best part of Daredevil. Excuse me. That would be Ben Affleck, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Question, not related. Was the character of Foggy in the Ben Affleck version? Uh, I have no idea. I never saw I don't it. Remember. Well, that's fair. Never mind. Yeah, we'll it was played by later. Matt Damon. I would say, I will allow Foggy is also the equal with Deborah Anwell. Okay. Best part of Daredevil. I will give you that. Um, so this was on Wikipedia. I don't have the source for this, but apparently Dame Judy fucking Dench is, plays D&D. No, that checks out. I mean, again, I no sources, it. but... I believe it. I mean, there is probably a source on Wikipedia. I just didn't follow it because it was like 1030 at night and I was done. (laughs) Um, So it's also been featured in a number of popular television shows. Uh, Most recently, like, I don't know, most recently, but like Stranger Things has kind of been the big one in the last couple of years. Um, Some others community did Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which is my personal favorite Dungeons and Dragons episode. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I have to mention because Sadie will kill me if I don't. Uh, (laughs) Sadie Resident Evil in the series finale. <laughs> uh, Freaks and Geeks, Gravity Falls, The Magicians, um, yeah, Gravity Big Falls Bang did. Theory. Uh, D- Gravity Falls played Dungeons, Dungeons, and More Dungeons, <laughs> which is not exactly the same thing. I will also agree with you. Community did do it best. They did. Yeah, the Community one's really good. Uh, the Big Bang Theory, I think, kind of recently had a D and D episode. Yeah, it took um, them like fourteen years to have a fucking D and D episode. I bet it sucks too. Did it? No, it was like season sixteen. Did it? But it's got like Riverdale also just do one where it was heavily I featured. I think like whole season has been like, and I haven't watched the season of Riverdale yet, but I think there's like a whole subplot of like a Dungeons and Dragons type game. Did, I, they, did they play it with their shirts on at least? I doubt it. <laughs> They probably do Does a whole bunch have their of jingle jangle and then just go for it. I mean, I shouldn't talk. I never play D&D with a shirt on either, so. <laughs> Getting in character. Shane, you're a wizard. You're not even a barbarian. Oh. <laughs> a wizard doesn't wear a shirt. <laughs> Shirtless the elder. <laughs> oh. Uh, in the last part of this is, of course, podcasts. There are so many D&D podcasts. We have a podcast. We'll get to that later. Um, it's not the a Adventure D&D Zone podcast. And, not technically, no. It's a tabletop podcast, which is kind of, these are all tabletop podcasts. I don't think they all play dungeon, D&D. Uh, Adventure Zone and Critical Role, obviously, are the big ones. Um, my new personal favorite is Dames and Dragons. I'm going to put in a plug for them because they are amazing. I'm going to plug not another D&D podcast as long as we're here. Yeah. Shane and Emily, what are your favorite tabletop RPG podcasts? Uh... So here's a dark secret of mine. I hate most D&D podcasts. That's fair. It's it's kind of the pits to listen to people play D&D because no one edits it right. But that said, <laughs> I'm just not to be a negative Nelly, the Adventure Zone is the greatest narrative that's ever been told by fiction. And they do actually okay. play D&D. Um, not in the current season, but in the, yeah, in the yeah, balance yeah. arc. Um, so I'm... You can cut out all the stuff where I'm being negative, and you can just keep the part where I say, man, the Adventure Zone's real good. <laughs> I feel like as long as we land on that, it's fine. Um, it's not a podcast, but I am a huge fan of Harmon Quest, not because they play it accurately, but because I like the pretty pictures. <laughs> yeah, Harmon Quest is a lot of fun. Um, the Aubrey Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen episodes are just... Wah. I was going to say, they also have like a lot of cool guests on that, don't uh, they? Yes, they had uh, Britta from Community who was a goblin named Chip. 
and it was beautiful. <laughs> also Pat Oswalt. Also and, and Pat Oswalt and Thomas Middleditch, who brought his own bag of dice. Uh, I was I almost said Brendan Fraser, but I meant uh, Castle. What's his name? Nathan Fillion. Oh, Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Um, you know Castle. <laughs> I would fucking love Brendan Fraser on Harmon Quest, though. He'd do it. I, I thought he I think he could get really into D and D. I thought Brendan Fraser wasn't doing anything right now, but it turns out he's on Doom Patrol. So yeah. that's the thing that made me really want to watch Doom Patrol. Yeah, I I think you have to subscribe to a thing to get it. But I'm sure there's a free trial. There's got to be. It's got to be enough to watch anyway, Doom Patrol. So uh, let's let Shane go first, and you have your own fun. Yes. Before I plug the thing that I was here to, to talk about, I want to also just cite my source for the research that i did please do uh it was designers and dragons by shannon applecoin it is one of the best Hmm. series of books about role-playing history that you could ever hope to get you read books for this or you read books i read read sections of a couple books for this um but yeah it's it's a four book series each one has is dedicated to a different decade that was recommended and then i was like i don't have time to read a book uh, yeah, no, and that's fair. Um, but uh, my buddy Kurt recommended it to me, my dungeon master, uh, and they are very good. You can get a PDF. Uh, so anyway, check it out. D- Designers and Dragons. Nice, 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 nice. Uh, but the thing that I'm working on <laughs> is uh, my own game system. Uh, it's designed to be played, uh, picked up and played very quickly by a group of friends that doesn't really have time to schedule uh, get-togethers for proper long-form D&D. Uh, it's called Haste, a game of Dum Dums and Dragons. And I've actually <laughs> got a little gift for Emily in the studio. It's a copy of the playtest packet ah! of her, her very own. Oh, this is exciting. This it comes is, with so uh, uh, the four class booklets, which are very quick pick-up-and-play uh, ways to make a character of each given class in uh, like Ooh. 20 minutes or less. You're going to have to scan all of these for me. <laughs> Uh, you can actually find out more information if you go to oh, hasterpg.com. Shane, I have to know, is this your handwriting or is this a font? Because both ways. That is a font made by my handwriting. That's the best outcome. That is the lazy man's way to handwrite the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Emily is I showing off the... Uh, yes. I will take a picture of the stack and put it on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Haste RPG or uh, Dum Dums and Dragons on most forms of social media, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. I've been doing a lot of stuff on Instagram. Uh, Dum Dum Dragon on Instagram. Yeah, this is this is nice for people who want to get into it, but who finds uh, D&D to be very daunting. Like, if I didn't have a friend yeah. who was already deep, deep in it, I probably wouldn't have been able to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, say so honestly, like, if I hadn't listened to 70 episodes of The Adventures oh, on, I, I also would have never yeah. figured it out. Yeah. Uh, Griffin McElroy taught me how... To play D&D. Well, I think the most important thing <laughs> that Griffin and the McElroys did for Dungeons & Dragons is they taught people that you can play the game wrong, and that's fine. Yeah. You don't have to play it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, because um, I was worried, because there's a lot of rules, Yeah, and I'm not good at rules. You don't have to um, use them all. Yeah, and that's also where Harmon Quest came in, like, and uh, even more recently, not uh, not another D&D podcast, is they play it. The, like loosely they still do all of the things you have to do to make the mechanics work but they are not so serious like i'm sorry that's actually a charisma role it's not that kind of thing yeah uh you can play it as fast and loose as you want haste is definitely designed to play fast and loose because that's just how i play my games is like <laughs> i don't like to know a lot of rules so i didn't write a lot of rules um this is an amazing gift thank you oh yeah um we will test it hard 
please let me know how it is. Uh, and there's a couple other booklets that I need to update. There's old copies, but I'm I'm getting the the. It used to be called Dum Dums and Dragons. I just was calling the game it's, that it's a for beautiful a long title. time, and I decided I don't want to get sued if I ever try and sell this. So now it's the subtitle. Um, it might be a fun filler episode, not filler, but bonus episode of a Monster Pod, which is um, Sarah. Tell and me I, more. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this is such we a actually great have three members segue. of it in studio. Yeah. <laughs> you playing Zelda again? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I won't bother you too much. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have started, we talked about it a little bit on the last episode. Yeah, I think we mentioned um, it. On our passing. House on the Rock episode. But uh, Monster Pod is basically the four of us, Sarah, myself, uh, Travis, um, the penis gallery for Afternoon Fight listeners, <laughs> and Sadie, our resident Canadian, playing Monster of the Week uh, with me as the gamekeeper, keeper of monsters, however you want to do that. Um it's based on the Powered by the Apocalypse system, which is... Honestly, you could do a whole episode on that. It is. It's... Yeah. It's It's like, easier. I tried to get into some of that, and, like, there's just... There's so many different systems and... Powered by the Apocalypse really sparked now. a revolution in narrative-based roleplay. Yeah. Um, in the tradition of White Wolf Games, which... Haha! People know what I'm talking about. Trust me. Um, yeah, I... I could not do a D&D podcast. I, I don't have the knowledge. I was never going to gain the knowledge. I like just fucking around with D&D. But um, with Monster of the Week, it plays very much to things that I already know about. Uh, like the full, like, Buffy. Um, just the, the Buffy library and fairy on genre, brand. Yeah. So that's coming out at probably after or before this comes out. I think the first episode will have dropped by the time this episode. So you can enjoy it right now. Yeah, you can go listen to that right now. Um, our website is monsterpod.pizza. That was my idea. I just want everyone to know that. I I was the I one who recommended that domain name. I got bullied into paying $13 to own MonsterPod.Pizza. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, your address actually reminded me. There is one D&D podcast that I will recommend. Oh, please do. It's because my friend Dash does it. Oh. It's Lost in the Multiverse. It's actually really good. Okay. I, my main complaint about D&D uh, podcasts is they don't edit them properly. Uh-huh. Dash does a good job. D&D.cool. Is their website, which is what reminded me of Why that. Why I have you here. That's a good yeah. domain. Uh, good editing for D&D podcasts. What are your... Okay. Big things. <laughs> you just did like jazz hands, Sarah. I know you can't see it. <laughs> One of the big pitfalls of a lot of role-play-based podcasts is that people will just plunk a mic down, record, and just upload it. Oh, God. So things, it t- oh, hell things no. to edit out. Hemming and hawing. Dead air. Making a decision, reversing that decision, and making a different decision. Just cut all of that out and just give me the actual decision. Okay, so cut out the 45 minutes yeah. of silence while players try to decide what to do with a flock of demon birds. Yes. I'm never going to make it as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, inside jokes, eating on mic, uh, just like, oh, there's so, there's so many bad choices. Uh, and I've listened to, like, good, well-regarded like D&D podcasts and I've started in the beginning and I just scream. I scream and loud in my car. Like uh, there's an episode of Friends at the Table which is a very big well-respected very well-respected oh, D&D yeah. podcast and I've listened to the earlier episodes and I'm and the guy's like, "Okay, what should I do?" And it's like that and it's it's longer than I'm doing and I'm I'm driving in my car listening to this and I'm just like, "Edit this out. Edit this edit edit this out. Why are you still edit it out?" <laughs> There is, uh, there is literally a tool in Audacity where you can just cut all that shit at, at once. 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was that was and, and I'm not I'm not saying That's like oh advice, these yeah. are easy fixes. These are all hard to do, but they make your show listenable. <laughs> this is advice for anybody. I feel like that's a good place to, yeah, that's good advice. I think everyone who has a D and D or tabletop podcast should listen to Shane. <laughs> I second all of it. I mean, he already looks like God. We should probably just start. <laughs> <laughs> Like a young lord. Like a young lord. Like a god who's way into D and D. Um. So, do you have any like social media you want to plug? Uh. Yeah. You can. Uh, you can find me. Most of my projects. Uh, uh, Shane. Shane Hosey on Twitter. Uh. Dum Dum Dragon on Instagram. I've been working on a, a year project where I'm trying to draw a character or a monster every day using the system that I wrote. Your so. resolution on that has been like perfect. <laughs> I missed like what a day yeah one a day i mean here's the thing i'm not that good at drawing so it's not that big of a time <laughs> investment uh, i also have another podcast what i do with my good friend craig may where we are going to watch every anime that's ever existed and review it by randomly determining what episode or what show we're going to watch per episode watching the first episode and reviewing it based on just that it's called anime at the gates uh and it's been a lot of fun so far so you can find that wherever podcasts are, per- are procured you know, you're general. So that that podcast will end sometime in the year three thousand eighty. We'll have to we'll have to uh, designate heirs that eventually, <laughs> like whoever. When I die, this person will take over the podcast to continue to you, review. You're gonna anime. till death do us blart it. Yeah, we're gonna till death do us blart it. Yeah. <laughs> Please remember to subscribe, rate, review. If you have nice things to say, dear God, please. Um, we are on Twitter at Afternoon. If, if you I... have mean things, yeah, I was going to say, if you have mean things to say, take it to Twitter. We'll fight you. Say it to our fucking faces. <laughs> um, we are on Twitter at Afternoonified, Instagram at Afternoonified. I'm sure this week's Twitter f- or Instagram feed will just be like eight pictures of Gary Gygax. Um, well, and me holding I up a book Gary. of erotic and, fantasy. And sh- uh, there's a, so there's a running <laughs> gag on, on Anime at the Gates where we will tell people, leave a review, say whatever you want. But just rate it five stars. You can say the meanest, nastiest shit to us. Five stars is all we ask. Yeah, do for. that. Uh, call us uneducated. Yeah. Just make it five stars. Just five stars. You can say this is the worst show I've ever heard. They didn't do any research. They 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 question. They called into question whether or not Gary Gygax is the guy's real name. <laughs> five stars. Yeah. So we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash getafternoonified. Um, getafternoonified.com. Uh, Monsterpod.pizza. If you're looking for the other thing. Yep. Um, new merch we have the, the new merch um, with our new logo and a different logo than the shirt and, that I am currently wearing Ah, okay. Uh, we did a, an edgy rebrand yeah uh, you can also support your uh, favorite presidential candidate Midge Mitch 2020 yes Midge for president vice president secretary of state maybe Barbie can be the treasurer oh now here comes my cat alright well I think that's a good place to end it <laughs> yep Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, thank you, we love Shane, you. for coming in and doing research. Thanks for having me on with a yes, cold. Yes, thanks for being the most informed person in this episode. <laughs>